0: Welcome, I'm Dennis Tubergen. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Glad you're listening in today. Hey, joining me in segments two and three of today's program is a gentleman I know you're going to like to listen to, Mr. Simon Popple, who is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report, joins me in those segments on today's program. I was able to catch up with Simon this past week from his offices in the U.K., And we're going to talk to Simon about how to invest in the current inflationary environment. And he's going to give you some ideas that uh, I know you're going to find valuable. And again, that's in segments two and three of today's program. Today is the last opportunity for everyone listening to get the February special report. And given the stock market activity of this past week, it turned out to be a very timely report. The report is simply titled, Stock Update is the Crash Upon Us. And in it, I give you my analysis of where stocks were at the beginning of the month. And in it, I forecast some downside uh, moving ahead, which uh, has happened. Uh, And I also give you some strategies to consider moving ahead to protect yourself um, if you're investing in stocks. So again, if you'd like to get that report, last chance today, just simply go to requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. Just let me know where to mail that report, and I will be very glad to get it out to you, along with some bonus information that I think you'll find to be especially timely. You know, the big story uh, in the economy and in the financial markets, in addition to stocks troubles this past week, is inflation. That continues to be the story. And many of you... If you think back to shopping experiences, when you have uh, an item that you're purchasing, let's say like jewelry that is very expensive, it's not unusual for those items to be locked in a display case and you'll need the assistance of a salesperson to look at those items because they want to supervise you uh, when you examine those items to prevent theft. Well, inflation is affecting the price of nearly everything And now it seems that many retailers are locking up toothpaste, deodorant, and nice cuts of meat. And no, I am not making that up. Michael Snyder this past week wrote this. Has it really come to this? We all knew that shoplifting was getting really bad all over the nation, but does Walmart really need to start locking up the steaks? I was stunned when I first learned that pharmacies in our core urban areas were locking up toothpaste and deodorant. But I didn't think we were already at a point where supermarkets would start locking up the food. Walmart, it seems, has started securing high-priced steaks inside locked metal cages because of rising crime rates across the United States. This was a video that went viral over the past couple weeks. A gentleman by the name of Michael Fromhold, who lives in Florida, went to his local Walmart and took a video of fine cuts of beef, good cuts of steak, locked in metal cages. Well, that video was shared to TikTok, and it quickly went viral. It gained more than 4 million views in a matter of days. Certainly a sign of the times in which we find ourselves. Now, it's not just food and personal items that are increasing in cost. Rents are also being effective. New data from CoreLogic shows rental prices for single-family homes soared to an all-time high in 2021. This comes as on-time rent collections deteriorate because renters are pressured by increasing rent costs, increasing energy costs, and increasing food costs as well. Now CoreLogic's report says that rent prices for single-family homes increased by 7.8% in 2021, which was a record high. In the month of December alone, when comparing rent prices in December of 2021 to rent prices in 2020, rent prices in 2021 were 12% higher than in 2020. And this, of course, is affecting how many renters are making their rent payments on time. Now CoreLogic logic published a chart, which is obviously hard to share with you on the radio. But about three years ago, in 2019, 98% of renters made their payments on time. By December of 2020, that number dropped all the way down to about 95%. Presently, if you look at December of 2021, only 92% of renter households made their payment for their December rent by the end of December. That means 8% did not. What that means is 1 of 12 renters are behind on their rent. That is a big number. Now, Housing market, The housing market, the real estate market, is also, I believe, beginning to be affected. As I have been warning over the past couple months, I thought that the real estate market looked like it was ready to top. Uh, one of the reasons was that mortgage rates began to move upward. KITCO News reported this past week that mortgage rates are now at the highest level since 2020. 30-year mortgages now carry interest rates of 4%. Just one year ago, a 30-year mortgage carried an interest rate of 2.8%. Now, here's what that means as far as the monthly payment is concerned. On a $300,000 mortgage, if the interest rate is 2.75%, the payment is about $1,200 a month. At 4%, the payment is about $1,430 a month. So as interest rates rise, more potential buyers are getting priced out of the market. And I believe it's just a matter of time until we reach the tipping point. Now, the Kidco News article carried some quotes from Ted Oakley, who is the founder of Oxbow Advisors. And he, and I quote, said, I suspect that the 4% rate on the 30-year mortgage is a breaking point. He said, if a consumer goes out today and takes out a mortgage, the payment is about 20% higher than it was, as we just illustrated, and the home price is probably up about 20% as well. Low interest rates mean that housing prices can rise to a higher level than they otherwise could if interest rates were higher, were lower rather. Most people when they buy a house or car are concerned about what the payments are. Anybody that sells houses or cars typically focuses on what are the payments and with higher interest rates those payments are going to be much higher. Now, as inflation continues to dominate the conversation, we have stocks that are declining. If you've not yet requested your copy of my February special report, today is the last opportunity to do that. All you need to do to get the report is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. February's report is titled Stock Update is the Crash Upon Us, and it gives you strategies to consider in your current situation to protect yourself from a potential stock market decline. Also, with the report, I'll send you some bonus information. You'll get a copy of the best-selling book titled Revenue Sourcing. The Revenue Sourcing book gives you strategies to protect yourself from inflation and from asset prices declining. Um, It will share with you how to put together an income map and an allocation map for today's economy. Uh, Certainly, when you take a look at uh, everything going on in the economy and the conditions that exist, planning for retirement is going to require that you use different tools than you have in the past. So again, to get all this information, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. And let me remind you also, as we're getting ready to go to our first break, that if you would like to participate in my weekly headline roundup news webinar, that happens Monday noon live. Um, And if you'd like to go back and view those, you can see those at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That, again, is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. I'll be back with Simon Popple after these words.
1: are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Simon Popple. Uh, Long-time listeners will recognize Simon as the uh, publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. You can learn more about his work at his website. It is brookvillecapital.com. That's brookvillecapital.com. And uh, Simon, welcome back to the program.
2: Great to be here.
1: So, Simon, let's talk a bit about um, inflation. Uh, The Fed, uh, the Central Bank of the United States, held an emergency meeting uh, as we're recording this about a week ago, and as a result of that emergency meeting, decided to take no action. What do you read into that?
2: Well, uh, you know, we certainly live in interesting times, um, and uh, I think the Fed are in a very difficult position because uh infl- you know with inflation you, you you do one of two things you either increase interest rates um, to uh to make money more expensive therefore people uh, are more careful what they spend their money on uh but if you do that because you've got so much debt in the system uh that dramatically increases your your cost of servicing that debt so you know that makes life very very difficult um the the other thing you can do is to Um, reduce spending and, um, you know, people are already uh, struggling. And so if you start taking the punch bowl away and, uh, you know, there's less debt in the system, less money in the system, uh, that's going to hurt people as well. So, um, you know, I think they're in a very difficult position.
1: So, Simon, if you calculate the inflation rate uh, the way it was calculated back in the late 70s, According to uh, many of the bright people I interview, we, you know, we have a real inflation rate of probably 15% plus. At that time, Paul Volcker, who is chair of the Fed, had to increase interest rates to almost 20%, so there were you know positive net real interest rates to get inflation under control. Um, it, it just seems like that is impossible to do for some of the reasons you've outlined. There's a lot of debt, um, and uh, certainly uh, you know, the U.S. government's operating deficit uh, is somewhat being uh, indirectly monetized by the Fed.
2: Yeah, look. As I said earlier, I think they're in a very, very difficult position, and um, you know, I I can't see a way out of it that is is not painful for people. You know, e- either they keep interest rates low, which means inflation will you know get higher, potentially a lot higher, um, or they you know increase interest rates. But you know, you've got to remember, you know, why would let's say why would I lend money to you? Um, let's say I lend money to you. Today that can buy uh, ten pints of beer, uh, but then you pay me back, and the money I get paid back from you could only buy me eight pints of beer. You know, um, and you—it makes no sense to have an interest rate that is lower than the inflation rate. Otherwise, whoever is lending the money is getting back less than what they lent in the first place. So, you know that. Um that, that just can't go on. And I think that that is probably one of the reasons Volcker made that that very bold move. But, um, you know, when that move was made, there was far less debt in the system than, uh, you know, there is at the moment.
1: So, Simon, do you see then that uh, the Fed will probably take some action? It may be more, uh, I like to say, more form than substance. Um, and that inflation will continue to uh, accelerate until such time as uh, you know we we get a, a crack up boom, as Ludwig von Mises would have said.
2: Yeah, I I I think that they're, as I say, in a difficult position. And I, I think what will probably happen is they are, you know, they're going to have to increase interest rates. You can't have money as cheap as it is. But by the same token, um, you know, they don't want to have. Uh, sort of huge social issues by increasing interest rates too quickly. So I, I think what you'll probably do is you'll, you'll probably see interest rates increase uh, over the, over the, you know, the forthcoming sort of year, couple of years. And um, but they are going to have to keep a lid on spending um, because you know they cannot uh, sort of burn both ends of the candle. If you know what I mean, uh, y- 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 you do have to keep spending. Uh, reasonably under control. Otherwise, you know, if anything runs away from you, you, you end up with runaway inflation and runaway spending, which is, you know, the worst of, of all worlds.
1: Well, Simon, you know, the analogy you just, uh, you, you just provided that why would I loan you money today when the money I'm going to be paid back is going to buy a lot less, that, that doesn't make sense. Uh, you need to have inflation rate or interest rates that are higher than inflation. Um, would you say that, that, that that's part of the reason that we're seeing uh, mortgage rates sneak back up and other interest rates sneak back up?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's part of the reason. But then, um, you know, you've then got some very nasty decisions to make because at some point, uh, you know, given what you just said, you'd have to have mortgage rates much, much higher than they are at the moment um, because, you know, you need to keep inflation under control. And um, But, you know, if, if someone's taken out a mortgage of, let's say, I don't know, half a million dollars, say 2%, um, if if interest rates go to 3%, that, uh, that really hurts them. You know, and um, I think that, uh, you know, the government have got some very unpalatable decisions to make.
1: So what is your forecast, Simon? Uh, and if you're just joining us, we're, we're chatting today with Simon Popple. He is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. I'd encourage you to check out his website at brookvillecapital.com. So, S- Simon, what are you telling your subscribers about uh, w- where inflation goes from here? What are you forecasting?
2: Well, it's difficult to see it coming down. You know, there's, there's nothing, nothing in the system that would suggest it comes down. And especially with energy prices going up, um, it is, it's, it, it is. you know, I'm genuinely scared as to where it could go. Uh, you know, I, I think before um, you, you need to see uh, some sort of end in sight. I mean, Volcker obviously increased interest rates that, that, that sort of put the brakes on inflation. But um, I can't see anything at the moment on the horizon that is going to bring inflation down significantly. And, um, you know, it's, it's also socially very, very difficult, politically very difficult um, to, to do this because uh, basically, if, unless you give people a pay rise that is um, level with inflation, they're essentially getting a pay cut. So, if, let's say, in your example, um, inflation was 15%, if you gave someone a 10% pay rise, which would be, you know, quite a, quite a good pay rise for, for most people, a very good pay rise, um, they're actually in, in essence taking a 5% pay cut. So, um, you know, I, I think there's some some you know very tough decisions to be made by the Fed, and um, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see see what happens.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I think Simon, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the, the the social ramifications of raising interest rates, but but by not increasing interest rates, uh, by some of the, the the research and the data that I'm seeing, uh, we're, we're starting to see that uh, you know lower income earners are really getting pinched. Uh, I don't know about there in the UK uh, where you call home, but here in the United States, I recently read that 70% of Americans are now living paycheck to paycheck, and credit card use in the fourth quarter of 2021 uh was up significantly so you know you know it appears that a lot of americans are resorting to taking on debt to make ends meet and uh, that obviously is not sustainable
2: yeah no absolutely absolutely you know and if you add inflation to that horrible cocktail it just gets even worse um you know it's uh going back to your earlier question how high could inflation go I, i think it's difficult to put put a number on it, but i mean if it's running at fifteen now, I can't see it going any lower and um you know it could easily easily go significantly higher and um so yeah i i, I think I think there's some very very difficult decisions to be made on an on a number of different fronts, and um you know, you're absolutely right I, I mean I think there's a lot of people living pay, paycheck to paycheck credit cards are um you know very easy to get very easy to get. Um, you know, a reasonable um, facility on a credit card, and you know it's great until you have to start paying people off. And um, you know, if you're if you're paying back money that you couldn't afford in the first place, um, you know, it puts you in a horrible position.
1: So, Simon, we're going to, in the second segment. We're going to get to strategies that you're talking to your subscribers about. But uh, give me your take on you know how this economic situation that we've just spent some time talking about um, is affecting stock markets it it seems that uh, you know the the highs in the market uh you know may have been in in November and then retested in december uh, and then and, and we we're, we're, we're maybe on a downhill slope here in a downtrend what what's your opinion?
2: yeah well I mean obviously there's some very tough decisions to be made, but I think that you know whether they reduce the money supply or increase interest rates, or probably a bit of both. Um, I can't see how that's good for stocks. Um, you know, both of those take money out of people's pockets, and I can't see how that's good for stock prices. So, uh, I am inclined to believe that the stock market has um, seen its sort of best days, and uh, I think um, you know this year, next year it could be quite a challenging year for it
1: uh are you forecasting uh any particular uh level of decline in stocks when you're when you're talking to your subscribers
2: uh not really i, I mean I, I think you have to be quite careful about sort of putting numbers on things, but you know supply chains are clearly under pressure at the moment, and um uh you know the, the old saying you only need one missing part to stop a production line and I think that um you know that that could really start to hurt some industries. Uh, you know, we've already heard of the semiconductor issue um, hurt it, hurting uh, many companies. And, you know, hopefully that can be resolved. But, uh, you know, I, I think supply chains are going to come under a lot of pressure. And, um, you know, that, that's going to make life more difficult for uh, for people, you know, producing things.
1: Well, Simon, we've got uh, about a minute and a half left in this segment, which is just about enough time for you to explain to the listeners uh, the kind of work that you do. If you'd be so kind.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, basically, what I do is I write, I write a, a weekly report that uh, covers a variety of different uh, commodities, and really, what I'm trying to do is help people build a portfolio that, um, you know, nothing is bombproof, but I mean, at least people should have some. Commodities uh, in their portfolio to help protect them against inflation. You know, because if we do get inflation, the thing I love about commodities is you can't print them. And I think that uh, you know it's going to be very important for people to have things in their portfolio that you know if, if, if prices are going up, but at least, at least they're sort of on the right side of like prices are going up in in stuff that they've invested in. So um, you know, it, it's. Uh, nothing is bomb-proof, but I think you know what I'm trying to do with my subscribers is at least get them in the tent looking out rather than out the tent looking in, so to speak.
1: Well, Simon's website is brookvillecapital.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. And in the next segment, I'll be continuing my conversation with Simon, and we will talk a bit about what he's recommending to his subscribers. That's after these words. Stay with us. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Tuberg and your host. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report, Mr. Simon Popple. If you're just joining us, you can learn more about Simon's work at brookvillecapital.com. And, Simon, you said something at the end of the last segment that uh, resonated with me and I'm sure resonated with many listeners as well, and that is that you can't print Commodities. So it, it seems that with inflation now being the dominant economic story, that you know people should probably be thinking tangible uh, to to a greater extent than maybe they have been. Um, and, and you know when you look at what's going on in stocks now, energy stocks certainly are, are still holding up pretty well. But in a lot of the sector research that I do, uh, you know there's many of the market sectors now that are are negative. But but those based in commodities and tangible things. Seem to be holding up. Uh, is that what you're seeing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I, I think it's quite interesting to look at various indexes and I, I would suggest your your listeners to look at the uh, the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index and look at it over ten years and twenty five years, because um, I, I think that it's story. Because if if the future is anything like the past. Commodities could do very well and it could be a sector, you know, that um, you know, you want to be looking at
1: So Simon when you talk about commodities for our listeners, maybe that uh, have been traditional uh, Retirement plan investors, uh, you know IRAs and 401ks here in the states uh, Many of them have just you know had a, a blend of, of stock related investments and bond related investments in their retirement accounts and they don't know much about commodities, so just start at a very 101 level, if you could, and define uh, and, and give some examples, maybe, of, of some types of investments that uh, would, would fit in that commodity category.
2: Well, I mean, personally, I like the mining companies because they're actually, you know, uh, they own the rights um, to to the various commodities, but, I mean, you, Commodities really fall into, well, various buckets, but let's just keep it simple. You've got hard commodities uh, such as gold, silver, uh, platinum, palladium, copper, nickel, cobalt, etc. And then you've got soft commodities such as wheat, sugar, corn, uh, rice. Um, So basically, some commodities are used to make stuff and some commodities are used uh, in foods. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer that you, you should build portfolios across both those sectors uh, because, you know, if prices do go up, either to make stuff or, um, you know, in, in terms of the food supply, um, then, you know, I, I think it's good that people have got exposure to that.
1: So, uh, do you have a favorite uh, moving ahead? Uh, what are you telling your subscribers as far as, uh, you know, mining shares, which would be a, you know, a hard commodity related business and uh, maybe like an agricultural uh, commodity, like, say, a fertilizer company. Uh, but well, what are you telling your subscribers about uh, how to invest in those categories?
2: Well, I mean, um, what, I, what I like about them is that, um, you know, it, it, it depends on, on on sort of how much risk people want to take, but some of the larger companies, i Have got exposure to a variety of different commodities. So not only are you investing in a company that's got sort of several different um, sort of lines of, uh, of revenue, so to speak, but quite often they're in that they're listed in different currencies to to where we are. So for example, I'm very much in you know, a pound sterling. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are U.S. dollar. So having exposure to perhaps the Canadian loony or the Australian dollar, you know, it can be quite attractive to them as well because it, that means not only did, you know, do they have a basket of different investments uh, across the, you know, the U S but they've got a different investments in other countries as well in different commodities. And it's a far more diversified approach to life.
1: So if someone is just getting started um and investing in commodities um you know we we have long recommended that people consider physical gold and silver as an inflation hedge um what would you advise? I mean, do you think the physical gold and silver is the way to go? do you think uh shares based on uh, a company that you know is is in the has exposure to commodities are the way to go, or would you do some of each
2: well I think a lot depends on how much money you've got, but i mean um I think literally all of the above. (laughs) Basically, I think gold and silver, physical gold and silver, is a good starting point. Um, And then after that, you you perhaps look at some of the big mining companies. Um, And then, depending on your appetite for risk, but if you've got, if if you like risk, then you rather than invest in a company that produces lots of different commodities, you go into a company that produces, let's say, only one or two commodities. And then, uh, you know, if you want to get even riskier, you can then start looking at sort of companies that uh, are really exploring. and um, you know the returns from those can be amazing, but obviously the risk can be incredibly high as well. So it really depends on 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 sort of what what people are doing. I mean, I think initially, if they're just trying to protect from inflation, then I think your physical gold, physical silver, and the largest commodity companies is not a bad starting point. But once you get into it and you find out more about the sector, um, you know you may find yourself drawn into other areas.
1: So, Simon, we talked in the last segment about the fact that uh, it's both our views that there is a reasonable probability that uh, the market maybe saw its uh, its highs at the end of 2021 for at least a, a short period of time. Um, If the broad market continues to decline, historically speaking, uh, do these commodity-based shares buck that trend?
2: Um, I I would probably say the answer is no, uh, because um, basically, if if the market goes down, it tends to take everything with it. And so, you know, if, 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 if there's a correction across the board... Uh, then you've your gold, silver and other stocks uh, are likely to suffer as well, uh, partly because, you know, they're very liquid. And, you know, people, um, you know, they want to sell them because there's a buyer. So they want the money perhaps to, you know, to, to cover a margin call or, uh, you know, use the cash elsewhere. But what uh, the last crash uh, showed was that these companies, you know, they can bounce back very quickly. And um, over time do, you know, do very, very well indeed. So, um, you know, I think you have to be very careful. I mean, uh, there are people who want to time the market, you know, keep their money in cash on the sideline waiting for it to crash. And, you know, obviously so far it hasn't crashed. But, um, you know, inflation has been eating away at that money. And so I'm a believer that that, uh, it's, it's more time in the market rather than timing the market that's important. And, um, yes, you do want to have some cash, but uh, I think you want to be a bit careful about how much you have because you know, otherwise, you know, you could spend an awful long time on the sidelines, you know, watch watching the market run away from you.
1: So, Simon, if I'm hearing what you're telling your subscribers correctly, and, and, and please comment, um, you're really advising against a, a, a broad stock based approach, you know, no, no, don't buy an index, but focus more on commodity-based companies that uh, maybe are, are mining shares or maybe uh, produce agricultural products. Is that a fair assumption of how you see things?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think people want to have a broad um, exposure to to commodities. Um, and I think that, you know, w- with my subscribers, I like them to be in um, a lot of different types of commodities. In different countries, and you um, really kind of uh, obviously, you know, we we saw what, what happened at, at the recent uh, climate change conference. You know, oil and coal uh, were led to believe are on their way out now. If they're on their way out, something has to replace oil and coal. We've clearly got no idea what that's going to be, uh, or whether or not they'll be replaced in the first place. But all I would say is, uh, by having a large basket of commodities. Uh, You increase the chances of you know being able to pick a winner.
1: So Simon, in the time we have left, I think a lot of the listeners are probably familiar with the mining shares and are familiar with the gold and silver investing. They're probably less familiar with investing in uh, soft commodities. Uh, Can you give some examples, maybe, of uh, some of your favorites in that category?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't really like to get into the companies themselves. But I mean, there are some very large companies. that basically are, are heavily involved in the food chain. Um, you, you only have to look at the—they're uh, called the, the ABCD, which cover most of the um, of, of the world's uh, sort of food chain. Uh, A is ADM, B is Bungie, C is Cargill, and D is Louis Dreyfus. So those are four companies that are massively involved. In um, you know soft commodities, there are clearly a, you know a lot of others, but that's you know uh, that's what I'll be getting into with my subscribers. But at the moment, uh, I'm actually focusing on hard commodities because um, you know there's, there's an awful lot of hard commodity companies out there as well. But uh, uh, if people want to look at soft commodities, you know that's not a bad starting point to look at those for.
1: Terrific. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Simon Popple. His website is brookvillecapital.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. Simon, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'd love to have you back down the road.
2: Fantastic. Great talking to you.
1: We will return after these words.
0: You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. And thank you again to Mr. Simon Popple for joining us on today's program. You know, as I mentioned in the first segment, it is the last opportunity to get the February special report titled Stock Update is the Crash Upon Us. If you'd like to get your copy of that report as well as some bonus information, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com, and I will be glad to get you out a copy of the report as well as all the bonus information. You know, in this segment, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening geopolitically to change the role of the U.S. dollar, perhaps, on the world stage. As many of you know, the U.S. dollar still enjoys, although in a bit of a diminished role, the Role of the world reserve currency. In other words, most international transactions take place in US dollars. Now, the backstory on this is that in 1971, as longtime listeners know, then President Richard Nixon eliminated the link between the dollar and gold. Up to that point, any foreign investor, any foreign entity could exchange their US dollars for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. But because the United States, and in particular the Federal Reserve, had created too many U.S. dollars, there was a run on the bank, and a lot of foreign investors said, I want my gold, you take these paper dollars. Well, as a result, Nixon, in August of 1971, said we are going to temporarily suspend the redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold. As long-time listeners know, those temporary redemptions uh, actually became a permanent ban on exchanging dollars for gold. So since 1971, the dollar has been a fiat currency. Now since 1974, the dollar has enjoyed reserve currency status largely because of a deal that was put together back in 1974. Now, Bloomberg reported on this extensively in 2016. But back in 1974, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, William Simon, and his deputy, Jerry Parsky, took a trip to Europe and the Middle East, and it was called a diplomacy tour. But the real purpose was to visit Saudi Arabia and entice them to price their oil sales exclusively in U.S. dollars. See, Saudi Arabia provided much of the world's oil in the 70s, and if anybody that wanted to buy oil from Saudi Arabia had to inventory dollars in order to do so, it would give the U.S. dollar a big advantage. So the plan was, and the deal said, that the United States would buy oil from Saudi Arabia and provide the kingdom military aid and equipment. In return, the Saudis would price their oil in U.S. dollars and they would invest their petrodollar revenue back into U.S. treasuries. Now, that has worked quite well up until recently. However, this Past week, Dr. Stephen Lieb wrote a piece that talks about how this is changing. He references a Wall Street Journal opinion piece that ran on November 9. The piece was written by Karen Elliott House. Ms. House is an award-winning journalist. She's a former Wall Street Journal publisher, and she's an author of a book on Saudi Arabia. Well, her op-ed article was titled, Saudi Arabia Turns Toward China. And it detailed how Saudi Arabia and China are moving much closer. In fact, the article quotes an unnamed advisor to the Saudi crown prince who said, quote, You name it, and we're doing it with China. Saudi Arabia is teaching Mandarin in schools. China is the Saudis' largest trading partner. The major export, of course, is oil. But military hardware and technologies have also become vital imports, according to the article. Now, Dr. Lieb writes that none of this should come as a surprise, given that the United States no longer sells the Saudis' offensive weapons and recently removed the defensive Patriot missiles. The Saudi-China closeness is compensating then, or at least somewhat compensating, for the cooler Saudi-United States ties. Now, the journal reported more recently that the Saudis have begun to make ballistic missiles using Chinese technology and Chinese experts. This military cooperation, Dr. Lieb notes, comes in the wake of multiple drone attacks against the Saudis and their oil infrastructure. One of these drone attacks was successful in September of 2019, and it temporarily reduced Saudi oil production by 50%. Now, by a very large margin, the Saudis are the largest oil producer in the Middle East. Number two is probably the United Arab Emirates. And there's growing evidence that the United Arab Emirates also now strongly favors China. According to the Financial Times, United Arab Emirates and the United States have now postponed talks concerning the proposed $23 billion purchase of 50 F-35s. The reason was the United States insisted that United Arab Emirates drop plans to install Chinese 5G equipment in the country. Now, the talks were postponed, but Dr. Lieb writes that postponement is really a euphemism for cancellation of the purchase. The UAE now has ordered nearly comparable planes from the French. Dr. Lieb goes on to make a point that The U.S. dollar is now one step closer, due to these recent developments, to not being the dominant world reserve currency, or at least not being as dominant as it is presently. That should make all of us think about, as we do our retirement planning, do we want to have 100% of our assets parked or invested in U.S. dollars? Should you have some in metals? And I've got a special report in March that uh, if you listen to next week's program, I'll give you details on how to get that report. But if you just go back to 1971 and take a look at what gold has done as far as maintaining purchasing power, I'll give you a quick example, and I've used this in the past. In 1971, the median cost of a new home was $25,200, and gold was selling for $35 an ounce. So if you were going to use gold to purchase a new home in 1971, you either needed $25,200 in US dollars or you needed 720 ounces of gold. Now let's just assume you didn't buy the new home in 1971 and instead you kept the $25,200 cash that you had to buy the home in a safe to use later. 50 years later, that $25,200 would not even be a down payment on the median price of a new home as the median price of a new home is now $377,000. It would purchase less than 7% of that new home. On the other hand, if instead of keeping the $25,200 in your safe, you kept the 720 ounces of gold, that 720 ounces of gold would now buy 3.5 houses. There's a lesson there, and in light of the many geopolitical developments that are happening around the globe, I would encourage you to consider including that in your retirement planning. To that end, I'd like to invite you to get uh, the report and bonus information. One of the bits of bonus information we're offering this month is the revenue sourcing book that will talk more about this topic. To get all that information sent to you without cost or obligation, just visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. That's all the time I have for this week. I'll be back again next week.